0: Today on Cash Chicago, what happens to a community when industry leaves? Well, that's the central question in the Southeast, a city within a city. We talked to filmmaker Stephen Walsh about the documentary last September. We're revisiting the conversation ahead of the film screening tomorrow at Big Marsh Park. It's Wednesday, August 24th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. You know, it didn't always
1: look like this. Feel like this. It was beautiful here once and full of life. There was always something to do, somewhere to go. Dances and block parties and fests and lights and magic. People didn't have to leave to find work. The work was right here.
0: Stephen Walsh grew up in the Eastside. Yes, not on the Eastside, in Eastside. It's the name of a neighborhood. For six years, he's been working on a documentary about his neighborhood and how it shaped his family for good and bad. What neighborhoods are we talking about when we say the southeast side of Chicago yeah yeah
1: yeah that's that's kind of how we got to kick off the film man because even people in Chicago don't even know about Southeast Chicago they're like mm-hmm. what is that mm-hmm. Lake Michigan and so it's basically A- exactly <laughs> it's basically under Lake Michigan um, and it's four communities South Chicago which was the original overarching community and then it kind of split as time went on um, the the East side which is where I grew up um, Hegwish and South Deering. So those are the four essential
0: uh, neighborhoods of the 10th Ward. And that's what we're going to be talking about in our story. Your family story is a common one, right? They came to the area to work at the steel mills. You know, when you're Grandparent, uh, grandfather was moving here. Were there a lot of immigrants coming up to Chicago during that time to the southeast side?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you know, I think I'm, I'm realizing so much of how unique my story is, which f- was a little scary at first. I, I, the relatability, I think, is what people are really drawn to. But you know, especially in, in in San Antonio, Texas, and I feel like this is just something that you can you can kind of supplant in different different places, different communities in the South during the Great Migration, and in Mexico, you know, especially to fill in those jobs during World War One and World War Two.
0: And your grandfather was in San Antonio, right? He was in
1: San Antonio, Texas. And uh, my grandfather came in 1950. Uh, some of the earlier members of my family came basically to, you know, w- with what's called scab workers and strike breakers during World War One and Two, and during the, the labor movement. They were coming in to fill those jobs that, that, you know, essentially like the white Europeans that were no longer coming into the country because of the war mm-hmm. or were fighting. Um, they were taking those jobs.
0: Yeah, I was listening to one of the clips on your YouTube from Esther and she talked about when when she was young and when the steel mills was popping, she said the trees was green, there were a lot of flowers.
1: Commercial Avenue was beautiful. Um, ladies used to wear white gloves and hats and purses and gentlemen used to wear
0: suits. <laughs> she said when you saw those steel mills closing, that's when problems in the neighborhood start to get exacerbated. And so the story of the Southeast side is one of the towns, you know, across the country that decline the industry.
1: Nobody had money. So everybody like moved out the neighborhood, divorced. There was, you. that's when you seen hungry people, children that were abused. That's when you seen that.
0: When did the mills close and, and how did that impact the area? Uh, Wisconsin Steel was the first mill to close. I think it was in
1: 1980. 3,400 people lost their jobs in one day, bro. I'm talking about they were walking to go. They were walking into work and the gate was closed. They took their last paychecks. They took their pensions. They took their life savings. In one day, all of these people, and they're all, you know, neighbors that live next to each other, that mm-hmm. whose father worked at the mill, whose grandfather worked at the mill, whose grandmother might have worked in the mill during the war. They all lost their jobs in one day. And that was really like the heart attack. And then throughout the 80s all the way into the 90s is when the mills started to either shut down piece by piece or close. You know, next thing you know, we're talking maybe 30,000 jobs gone. And that's just the steel mill. Think about what that did to the neighborhood because now you got your big chunk of money makers who ain't got money. So who's going to those taverns? Who's going to those restaurants? Who's staying overnight at those places? Who's going to that store to shop? So it's just this trickle down effect. And then you got all these people and I'm seeing it now with, with the pandemic, people that have you know, had jobs for so long and lost it. I'm seeing the psychological damage. I can only imagine if you were told your whole life to do something and then they took it away with no other option.
0: Your grandfather, Coco Gomez. Mm-hmm. You said that's the lens through which you really tell this story. Can you tell me about your grandfather? You you grew up next door to your to your people. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. We grew up right down, you know, right next to each other, man. We don't, we never venture too far. And um, yeah, my grandfather was a huge influence on my life. You know, he, when I was younger, he was kind of like this scary old drunk. And you know he was always mad. And again, now I understand that. But at the time, I feel that one hundred percent. Man, we all got that crazy old drunk gramps, you know, we telling stories, telling tales about back in the day. And you know, um, yeah. So he grew up in you know Chicago most of his life. He moved to San. He moved from San Antonio when he was two. His uh, father was. Picking Cherries in Michigan, that was a typical Mexican, Mexican-American story. You know, when he grew up in South Chicago, it was very mixed at the time because everybody was working, you know? So his block, and we did some research going far back through the census. I mean, it was Swedish, Austrian, German, Polish, Irish, Black, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Japanese. It was crazy.
0: And by the time it got from like your grandfather being in the steel mill to you, there was still your mom and your pops generation. Mm-hmm. What did the Southeast side look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a section of film. I've, I've heard this term my whole
1: life and I ended up just set calling it a second. It's called the bloody nineties. It was the roughest time. I mean, my dad, you know, my dad was gang in and out of prison. Um, members of my family always getting shot. I got we got we had a shootout at my fifth birthday party, you know what I'm saying? So that was the nineties. That was that was the nineties. And the 80s I think is where it was beginning to start. You know, a lot of the story I'm talking about is the transformation and, and kind of de-evolution of gang, the gangs, the invention, the where these gangs came from. Because my gramps started a community club called the Turks back in the day. When, they're, when they were clubs and they were having sock ops and, and fundraisers to help out families during the war and, you know, maybe some cultural beefs, but that was just kind of part of being different colors. And, you know, that, they,
0: that's the story of gangs in Chicago. Exactly. They almost always start as as local clubs, mm-hmm. as, as local community efforts. Um, yeah. And now you see.
1: And, you know, for me, it's like I'm kind of seeing where that happened. The, the mills closed and their main source of income went away. So the clubs kind of became the, the new route for hustling. And, you know, my dad was born
0: in that era, my mom was born in that era. How did interviewing not only your grandfather, but other residents to show people about the neighborhood, like how did that become your your central idea for making this documentary? I went to school for business and education, so I didn't really know how to work a camera.
1: So I kind of spent the beginning of my time practicing at home. My gr- Here's my grand sitting down playing music. So I'm recording him. So I'm like trying to get lighting and frames and thinking about sound. I'm asking people like, yo, what do you think? And everyone's like, yo, I don't even care. Who is this old man right here singing and talking shit? This guy is gold. Who is he? And so that's where it all kicked off. I got to writing. I got to thinking. And and as I'm listening in, I realized, you know what? His story's not as unique as I thought. It happened to so many more people. And that's where it branched out. I asked an uncle. I asked a cousin. It just kept getting bigger. It was like a snowball effect where I realized that. It's our whole neighborhood.
0: But you say your grandfather was such a, a beautiful influence in your life, man. Can you tell me, what's what's a memory from when you were growing up that you really hold on to?
1: My my gramps, man, he was just like, it was weird. It was like I, I was going to school my life. I'm learning all this academic, all these academia things, right? And I'm learning from these. I went to Whitney Young. I went to U of I. I went to Johns Hopkins. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm an educated dude. I still learn more from my gramps. But when I was in college and I was, you know, I was not necessarily struggling grade wise, but psychologically, you know, leaving the nest, being in a place where I felt just like out of place. It it was hard for me, even though I went young, I got a taste of it. I just, I was just without my family. And that's hard for me because family is everything to me. That's like my, my moms were struggling and I just, I wanted to come home. And I remember when I did, I, I went home for the weekend and I was, you know, really thinking about it. And it was just that conversation with my grandson. This is like the initial spark of this documentary was like, he said, mijo, you have to understand, we survived so that you could succeed. And the mind is a terrible thing to waste. And it was born because I wanted to know, what did you survive? What did you have to survive? I didn't even know about the steel mills at the time. So I encourage all these kids that listen to this, if you're growing up in
0: a quote unquote hood, find out how that became a hood. Because I doubt it started that way. I wanted to come back to a question about the Southeast side. Do you feel that enough people really understand like what the neighborhood represents and what it's about you said it yourself and in your neighborhood y'all understand it but do you feel like the rest of the city of chicago really understands what the southeast
1: side is absolutely not 100 percent not it's a lack of awareness you know and it's a it's kind of hard to give it a full honest perspective when you're typically hearing about someone getting shot and killed you ain't really hearing about roman doing you know, these guys, I don't know if you've heard much about Meeting Other Styles that just happened. They just organized artists from all over the world to come and paint under our viaducts for free. They ain't make no money. They had to spend money, you know, and they're putting in this work. And now that I'm there, I see it every day. There are activists, environmentalists, academics, just parents, good parents that are out there doing all this stuff. It's very rare that you go down the neighborhood and you don't see someone donating clothes um, you know just helping trying to uplift there are just some genuine selfless people in this community and selfless because they've seen what happened to the neighborhood and they know now their purpose is to help try to bring it back so I think my big my big aim for this is is kind of twofold on a macro level it's to a, show the world that this neighborhood as, as though it has its ugly parts has really beautiful parts um, and also show the kids whether they're in this neighborhood or not to go home and next time you're sitting having dinner, ask your grandparents, and grandmother a couple questions about their life. I bet you'll, you'll learn a lot.
0: Stephen Walsh, creator of Southeast, a city within a city. Thank you for joining us on CityCast Chicago. Hey, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Walsh's documentary Southeast, a city within a city is being screened for free tomorrow after sunset at Big Marsh Park. I got a link for you in the show notes to RSVP. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. An individual has been charged with murder and attempted murder after driving into a crowd of people outside of Jeffrey's Pub in South Shore a week ago, killing three and injuring a fourth. A dozen CTA bus routes are getting tactile or Braille signs for the visually impaired. The city says it will install 1,300 over the next few months and some good news to get you through taste of greek town returns this weekend a hostage between van buren and adams for a celebration of greek music food and of course the neighborhood for more chicago stories and news tap into our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm if you are already getting a newsletter every day at 6 a.m pass it on to a friend or somebody in your family i'll talk to you tomorrow peace